This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Good morning, Dan and Amy, and we're broadcasting live this morning at Joe Cotton Ford in Carroll Stream, kicking off ticket sales for our annual Freedom Summit. That's October 27th in Itasca. Yeah, at the Chicago West and Northwest in Itasca. And our speakers, Dan, include former, former Milwaukee Sheriff David Clark, James O'Keefe from Project Veritas, and AM560's Mike Gallagher, plus others, plus Dan Proft will be speaking. And uh, we want you to stop by. We're at Joe Cotton Ford at Gary and North Avenue in Carroll Stream. We have free coffee here from I Have a Bean, located in beautiful Wheaton. But they're here today. Get a free cup of coffee, some donuts, and sign up to win a pair of free tickets to Freedom Summit Chicago. Also, you can buy your tickets at freedomsummitchicago.com. So over the weekend, uh, Lanny Davis still refusing to admit that he's the jerky voice of Saul Rosenberg. <laughs> He won't. He won't admit that. But Hello, he has. Hello, they say town. Yeah. Uh, Your car's running out there. Uh, oh boy, I really did it this time. Oh boy. Uh, he did admit, though, that uh, he has the same definition of truth as uh, Michael Wolf, who penned the you know unauthorized inside scoop on the White Trump White House, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the the definition of Michael Wolf's definition of truth. If it sounds true, it is. That's sort of Lanny Davis. Lanny Davis, who was uh, doing the rounds on all the talk shows last week, saying that Michael Cohen, his client, has knowledge of Trump's pre-knowledge of DNC hacking and other collusion-related matters. Now Lanny Davis saying, and this from the Amazon Post, oh, wow. that uh, he uh, has a strong feeling it oh, might be true. Oh, feeling. His <laughs> women's intuition. Now, so so he's essentially walked that back in because Lanny Davis is a prevaricating flack, just like he was for the Clintons. He now is for Cohen. But, but just on the Saul Rosenberg thing, if you'll indulge me, I tried to make the case last week. I don't know if I've convinced everybody. Here's Lanny Davis on Megyn Kelly. Could I just take one opportunity to remind everyone that Michael Cohen has suffered a tragic and difficult experience with his family. He's without reason. Now, here's Lanny Davis doing Saul Rosenberg for the Jerky Boys. Well, I'm asking you for help, and uh, maybe I could sue for punitive damages that you're giving me. I'm giving you? Yes. Me? Yes. what I do to you? Well, punitive damages here. Uh, it, not uh, only the damages that is perfect that is a, him it's a similar rap with yeah. the the same demonstration of legal knowledge <laughs> uh all right so a uh, little bit more on this topic the campaign finance piece of it the two felonies to which michael cohen pled guilty last week the uh, operative debate is uh, did michael cohen plead guilty to a uh, uh, did, did he plead guilty to something that uh, is not a campaign contribution so in excess uh, as well as Im illicit campaign contribution, was there no violation of the law? Was the hush money a campaign contribution regulated by campaign finance law and the Federal Election Commission? Well, no better person to help us answer that question than Bradley Smith, who's a law professor and the former chairman of the FEC, also the co-author of the book Voting Rights and Election Law. Bradley Smith, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, it's my pleasure, Dan. So how should we understand this uh, $130,000 uh, Cohen payment? Was it an in-kind corporate contribution in violation of uh, 
contribution limits, or is this something separate and distinct from a election-related expense? Well, there are a couple of interesting things here. I have to get a touch technical, but we'll try to keep it, you know, basic, right? The prosecutor relies on the law, which says that anytime you spend money for the purpose of influencing a campaign, it's a campaign contribution. And it would be illegal for a corporation to make a contribution, and it would be illegal for an individual to make a contribution or a loan over $2,700, right? So that's what he relies on. Here's the problem that you have. The courts have always recognized that anything for the purpose of influencing a campaign could be anything. I mean, this radio show, right, might influence a campaign, or somebody might say that's the purpose of it or whatever. You know, so anytime we talk about public issues at all. So the courts have always tried to narrow this, and, and you have to look at the whole statute. And the statute includes another part of the law which says that uh, anything uh, that is spent for an obligation that was not created by the campaign is personal use. That is, it's personal use of campaign funds, and you can't spend campaign funds on that. So to give an exact idea, a real simple one, you're a candidate. You say, boy, I look great in this new suit at the debate tonight. Can't buy the suit with your campaign funds. That's personal use because you got to buy clothing anyway. This isn't something that's part of your campaign in that same way. Even though your reason you really wanted to buy the suit was to was to influence the campaign. To be more uh, relevant to this, then let's suppose a candidate says, uh, like a businessman like Trump, he's got lawsuits against him against his businesses. He says, I think these lawsuits are a bunch of uh, BS. They're they're worthless, but they're damaging my reputation with voters. So he tells his lawyers, get them settled. Does the settlement become a campaign expenditure? No, it is not, and you can't use campaign funds for it. And I think when you look at it that way, this obligation, it may be that they chose to pay it in part to influence the campaign or whatever else, but the obligation wasn't created from the campaign in the same way as buying TV ads, uh, renting office space for your campaign, and so on. And so, so Trump's, I think in the end that this is simply not a campaign expenditure, and we don't really want it to be because we want some clarity in the law that, that lets, lets people know when they're on the hook, when they're being covered by campaign finance laws, and when they're not. But didn't with paying off the ladies? Did, right, but but didn't when he paid off those ladies or had Michael Cohen do it? Wasn't that affecting the election? Because that's what the Democrats me. told me all weekend. They kept saying, no, 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 this right. is it. This is how he's going to go down. I said, not really, because, I mean, paying off the ladies were actually could be a personal expenditure. Well, and, and Bradley, right. so, just, so, just, just, just one more friendly amendment to that point. Mm -hmm. Could you also address the, uh, how important it was that the effort to get a NDA with Stormy Daniels started in 2011 and how that plays into whether or not this is, should be defined as a campaign contribution or not? Sure. So there's two things here. For, for Amy's point, which is, you know, what you hear, and it's not a stupid reaction for people to have, right? The key thing is that the Federal Election Commission, when it wrote regulations to implement this law, specifically rejected the idea that just because something might be intended to influence the election, uh, it counted uh, as an expenditure unless, it again, the obligation came up only because of the campaign, like Again, hiring a campaign manager, uh, paying for yard signs. Those things don't happen absent the campaign. But other obligations happen even though you might be deciding to pay them because of the campaign. Like I say, like settling a lawsuit, which would be the closest example I can think of to this, and is one that is specifically included in the FEC regulations saying that is a personal expenditure. That's not a campaign expenditure. So, I, so you know, the test is not was this – partly to influence the campaign. The test is really, did this obligation, was it created 
by campaigning, and it wasn't. And this goes to Dan, your point, which is, you know, Stormy Daniels, we know, had been asking for money or at least kind of vaguely threatening to for some time before that, which suggests, again, that, uh, you know, Trump might have had reasons to settle this before. Now, we might say, well, why didn't he sell it before? Why does he only sell it close to the campaign? But that really goes to the question of Stormy Daniels asking. It goes to the question of that mixed use again, that they decided, well, maybe we should settle this now. Uh, but the obligation, as you can see, came up be- long before he was a candidate, that he was at least potentially obligated to pay this. It wasn't created by him running for office. Now, if there's documents in this uh, reported safe oh, yeah. uh, over no. at National Enquirer, well, Robert Rivera's going to open it up, the vault, with that, all the secret information. Uh, I'd he love is. to see it. Actually, I mean, yeah, it. Uh, that'd be great. We should do a whole uh, another special, see if he gets it right this mm. time. But, I mean, let's, let's, let's say in there they have documents that provide evidence to support the claim that Trump directed Cohen to make the payment for the express purpose of keeping this quiet so it didn't negatively impact his electoral chances. Um, what is his exposure then? Do we have a situation where, okay, then it's a campaign expenditure, and it, at minimum he should have disclosed his pass-through contrib- – well, Cohen's contribution and any pass-through reimbursement of said contribution – uh, you know, in the evidence that it was all Trump directed for the purpose of uh, preventing a negative impact on his campaign, what's the exposure? Right. Well, one of the things we have here is that we don't have any real law on this. That is, we don't have decisions by courts interpreting these two apparently contradictory provisions of the statute, right? I mean, one says if it's for the purpose of court. However, we do have the John Edwards prosecution from about a decade ago. People right. remember John Edwards had a very similar thing, uh, was paying off a woman with whom he'd had a child out of wedlock, um, and uh, it was intended to keep his political viability up prior to the 2008 presidential campaign. And a jury did not convict on that. Now, he was indicted, taken to trial, but a jury did not convict on that. So, you know, I think that's a pretty strong argument. And I, I think if you look at the case as I do, you know, I think that you'll say it doesn't really matter how they paid for it. It's not a violation. And people well, will say, this, this just sounds like a technical offense or technical explanation. You're a lawyer. It doesn't pass the smell test. You know, the law relies on technicalities that allow people to know if what they're doing is legal or not. And imagine yourself a Trump campaign lawyer, and, you're, and he says, well, we've got to settle this with Stormy Daniels, and you're sitting there saying, well, if I pay for it with campaign funds, then they're going to say it's an illegal personal use, exactly. and if I pay for it with yeah. personal funds, then they're going to claim it was an illegal campaign payment that wasn't reported. They get you coming or going, and that's one of the real problems with these laws. Well, well right, and, and uh, the, the perfect backdrop of this in Illinois, we would say Jesse Jackson and Sandy Jackson's case, but more recently, last week, Duncan Hunter and his wife being indicted for using their campaign fund for personal expenses. This is what the government alleges, and it's more clean-cut when it's clothes and jewelry and trips and, and the like. And dental work. And dental work <laughs> or whatever, but but it's it's still of the same kind, one could argue. So you could see where uh, counsel for President Trump would say you're sort of uh, you know caught in God's little acre west of the rock and east of the hard place. Yeah, that, that's right. I mean, that, that's exactly the provision of the statute I'm talking about. And, you know, Amy, I get your point, you know, like dental work, but think about it, right? What the FEC did not want was candidates saying, well, i got to go on a campaign trail. i got to have my teeth whitening done. This is a campaign expenditure. Yeah. And that's why they yeah. wrote the law in such a way that regulations for suits, the law right. to say yeah. that's personal use. So uh, here's the thing. If, if President Trump just admitted that he doesn't know the law and he delegated it to Cohen or states that he pays off women for sex on a routine business, would that 
help him? Do you think he'd be off the hook? Well, well, definitely it helps him because at that point you lose a knowing and willful violation. You know, one of the key things here was that Cohen pleaded to knowingly and willfully doing this. And what that does is that makes it a criminal violation with potential jail time as opposed to an accidental violation. So, for example, some folks might remember back in 2008 the Obama campaign took in quite a bit of money that was in illegal amounts. It was over the allowable amounts or from sources that are now allowed to give, like foreigners and so on. And the, and the campaign ended up paying a $350,000 penalty, I think was the amount. of something like that. Right? Yeah. But there were no no criminal charges there, right? It's just viewed as, whoops, uh, whoops you know, stupid, I shouldn't have done that. And you pay a fine, and that's the more normal way that these things are handled. All right, he is Bradley Smith, former chairman of the Federal Election Commission, law professor of the book, Voting Rights and Election Law. Bradley, thanks so much for joining us and uh, explaining this. Appreciate it. My pleasure. And he joined us on our Turnkey 